151 of Effectively Wild, a Fangraphs baseball podcast brought to you by our Patreon supporters. I'm Meg Riley of Fangraphs, and I'm joined as always by Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer. Ben, how are you? Pretty well. How are you? Pretty well. Good. Well, although Carlos Correa's status is still unresolved, we're... Twisting uh, in the wind! <laughs> very much so. I expect we'll have an update on that one of these days, one of these weeks, but for now, yeah. nothing new to report, or nothing new that has been reported, so we're otherwise well into the Wade Miley, Zach Davies, yeah. Eric Hosmer, Evan Longoria portion of the offseason, <laughs> so I think it's safe to say that we're entering the pre-spring training doldrums, the low ebb of the baseball offseason news-wise, which is fine. We've had it good thus far, but... There is one exception in that we yeah. got another $300 million man. I got thought him. we might have been done with those yeah. for this winter. But no, Raphael Devers, welcome to the club. Yeah, you know, his name is Raphael Devers and he is the $300 man. And I think importantly- $300 for, million. Dollar $300 man. million. Dollar man. Yeah, <laughs> that's what sucks. I meant. You Not knew. that cheap, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did know. Yes. Sorry, I did not want to impugn the <laughs> incredibly strange Red Sox. Um, yeah. I am so confused by this baseball team, Ben, you know? And <laughs> yeah. I, I guess like let's let's say this up front because we have been critical in the past. I think we are going to be, or at least I'm going to be perplexed in this conversation. But, you know, one thing that we have done is been like, hey, Red Sox, why are you not with your guys and the money, you know? Right. And we've said it uh, more articulately than that in the past <laughs> and uh, with a great many more words. But the general thrust has been, hey, Red Sox, what you doing, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I want to give credit where it's due, you know, to say that they did not let Devers leave, that yep. they met him with a contract that he and his representation clearly felt was commensurate with his talent, such that he wanted to sit out a free agent market where he would have been one of the top guys, you know? Oh, yeah. Much thinner next year. You know, we're going to be Extremely, like really yes. amped for Otani. And mm-hmm. then it, you know, particularly if some of the guys who have opt outs don't opt out, might be kind of a a Wade Miley-esque year, you know? Yeah, very uh, just, much so. Mm-hmm. Just to pick a, a guy who we just talked about. So I imagine he could have done, in addition to being a very good hitter, uh, quite well for himself just on a, a relative basis. Uh, but, you know, was was extended an offer that he felt was, you know, appropriate and, and took it. And so I want to give uh, the Red Sox credit for that. Because I don't want to be ungenerous when I have been ungenerous before. But I also am still going to ask with a slightly different tone now. Red Sox, what you doing? Yeah. We should. I don't. Ben. <laughs> it's curious. I don't, I don't understand this baseball team. You know, I don't understand some of the choices that they have made. Because typically we can kind of we can kind of slot teams into a couple of different archetypes right and there's variation within each roster and all the comps aren't necessarily perfect and you know there there are teams that are trying to simultaneously come and go but generally like you have teams that 
from a, a broad architecture perspective are like trying or not trying, right? And then mm-hmm. within the architecture of trying or not trying, you know, the way that they try or not try can take a couple of different forms. You know, they can be like shedding payroll. They can be tanking. They can be trying to win, but on the cheap. They can be, you know, there are a couple of different. I don't understand. I don't understand this team a little mm-hmm. bit because I don't, I still don't think that this team is very good. Yeah. I think that they might be last in the AL East. Like, I'm not trying to like be sassy, but I think that the possibility exists that they will end up not winning very much. And yet they have a $200 million payroll and yet they aren't like really spending, but like they are spending, but they're spending in weird ways, right? They're like, they're spending on like Kenley Jansen, you know? They're giving $16 million to Kenley Jansen and they're going out and they're getting Corey Kluber, right? And mm-hmm. they're bringing in like a post-peak Justin Turner and they're giving Masataki Yoshida like a lot of money in a way that yeah. we were like, he seems intriguing, but but that seems like a, an overmarket deal for, for what he was expected to sign for. So- I mostly feel like their off season has like a has some sequencing errors, you know? <laughs> like they didn't I don't know if they didn't have confidence that they were gonna be able to get Devers done. I don't know if the urgency with which they tried to get Devers done right now changed because of the way that the free agent market shook out, because of the criticism they were taking as a team. I can't you know, I'm I'm always skeptical that that kind of thing really matters to teams, mm-hmm. right? That like people are mad online mm-hmm. i think that they tend to not care that we're mad online really yeah although they've been mad offline as well because right. earlier this week john henry was he at Fenway. At. Yeah, <laughs> he did. He yeah, there was a, a winter classic nhl matchup yeah. at fenway where henry's pittsburgh penguins yeah. were playing the boston bruins which i guess already might have made some people mad at him because uh hey what are you doing owning the red Sox and then also owning this hockey team that's playing against our bruins but beyond that they were booing, they were heckling, yeah. they were holding up signs about Devers and having signs confiscated about Devers. So I'm not saying that that had any connection <laughs> to right. this necessarily. Like when the billionaire gets booed in real life, like Elon Musk recently did at an event. And it's like, right. oh, wait, maybe everyone doesn't love me or maybe right. it's not just people on Twitter who don't love me. Right. So I don't know if it's that because if, if you're owning a team, one of the privileges you would think of that is that you get to walk around town with your head held high and yeah. hey I, i'm a big shot right yeah. i'm the big man on campus here just and puffed out yeah i'm the owner of the red Sox, and right. uh, they broke the curse when i was owning them and then they won a few more world series and and you should all love me and be grateful to me but wait hold on maybe not it sounds like people don't like me anymore right and maybe it's because uh i don't spend to keep these franchise cornerstones around so not saying there's a connection or a, a correlation there necessarily between John Henry getting booed for not handing out a big contract and then a few days later handing out a big contract. But it's amusing. It's coincidental, if nothing else. I'm <laughs> happy it happened that way. But right. yeah, you're right. It's it's mixed signals. It's sort of a strange roster. Our pal Patrick Dubuque at Baseball Prospectus has dubbed this kind of difficult to classify team a spackling team mm. because 
it's not clear like what window they're in or if they have a window right. they have some holes but they're trying to spackle over the holes right. sort of but the holes are still there and maybe not all that well camouflaged so he kind of grouped the Red Sox the Giants the Cubs the Rangers in this class some other teams are are you know they have holes almost everyone has some sort of hole but right. he put this in a different category where it's like what are they doing where are they going exactly they're they're right. trying to some degree but also there are issues here and yeah looking at the fangrass depth charts war right. projections they have the 11th least war projected for 2023, which puts them right between the Marlins and the Orioles. They are mm. neck and neck with the Orioles in mm. projected war. So that's what you're saying, that they're not clearly not the worst team in that division. Right. And, you know, I think that you could make the argument, particularly in Baltimore's case, that like the Red Sox system isn't like terrible, but in terms of like guys who might come up and be impact talent, like, I think Baltimore has them licked yeah. there, uh, at least for the 2023 season. So, you know, there's there's that piece of it. And yeah, like, I wish that we could get like a, a candid assessment on the part of the front office of like, what what do they think their real ceiling is here? Because it's like, you know, you have, I don't know, man, like Chris Sale is their number one starter. And like, yeah. Corey Kluber in there and like you're expecting a lot from James Paxton which is like a feels like a real mm -hmm. choice and then you know are what are we gonna really see out of Trevor's story this year and you know your starting catcher is Reese McGuire like that's fine but it's not great it's like you look at this team, you're like, okay, let's imagine that, you know, you have a full sense of the, the, you know, the full distribution of outcomes that could be present for each of these individual players, not even the team, right? Each of these individual players. Okay, cool. Even if they all hit their like 90th percentile outcome, is this team obviously better than like the Rays? Is it nearly as good as the Blue Jays or the Yankees? Like, I just don't think... I still don't know that it's necessarily obviously better than the Orioles. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know? And All so of that is true. <laughs> I just, and yet. <laughs> and yet. And so it's like, okay, so you have that piece of it. And then you think, okay, well, some of these guys might end up being useful, like complementary pieces, complementary veteran pieces to an actual contender. So is like the idea here that they will see where they are come the deadline and then they will ship some of these guys and see what they can get and contend in 2024. I still think they have problems, you know? So I just I'm really I'm I'm really very confused. And you know, this is I'm about to say something that's unfair. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. I'm acknowledging up front that it's unfair. Okay. And I don't mean to knock Devers, although I'm about to knock Devers. Like <laughs> I think Devers is a fantastic hitter. Mm -hmm. You know, he's coming off a great season at the plate. I think that he will, you know, and he is he is a young 26, right? So it's not yep. like he's going to move off third tomorrow, hopefully. But I do think that you can say without caring about like the idea of an overpay, like here is a guy who seems at some point in the course of this contract ticketed to first base. Now, he will probably still be a very productive bat when that happens, right? He can meet the challenge of the offensive bar at first base. But like a first baseman 
less valuable than a third baseman, even when they're hitting like we can expect Evers to. And so you go back in time and you think to yourself, if they had a $300 million deal to give out, right? If they looked at their young core and they said to themselves, you know, we we really want to put our money eventually where our mouth is. We have $300 million plus to spend. You don't just try to retain Mookie Betts. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. and that's unfair. I'm admitting it's unfair because, you know, part of what you have to deal with in any given year is like, what does the broader market have to bear? And as, as Bauman pointed out when he wrote this up for us, like, this isn't what it used to be in terms of the free agent markets we've seen in the recent past. Like this within the context of this year and certainly within what we might anticipate to be the growth of payrolls over the next over the course of this CBA and then into the next one. Like we're gonna look back toward the end of this and be like, oh, three hundred million dollars one year, you know, like whatever. But and that wasn't the context necessarily for that deal when they were potentially trying to retain bets. But I just I don't know, man. It's a weird it's a weird little it's a weird little club, those Red Sox. Except they're not a little club. They're literally the Boston Red Sox. Right. Like, what yeah. Are we doing? <laughs> well, at least they acted like the Red yes. Sox with this specific move, right. which is what they had been failing to do. So this was as much a narrative changer as anything, really, because it doesn't make them better for this season because right. they had Devers under contract for right. the season anyway. It doesn't change the calculus. Apart, yeah. Well, I guess the way that it could change the calculus is next offseason yeah. if this is taken not as a, and we have spent our money, but more as a, we are willing to spend money. And then maybe the conversation is different in 2020 at the end of 2023 I don't know. true yeah but they have at least changed the story of the red sox from let's boo john henry i'm not saying you can't still boo him if you want to but boo him because he let bets leave and they traded you know him and then they didn't get that much back and then also bogart's left and they seem to undershoot him with their contract offers right. so they had to do this in a way because Devers is is almost like the last man standing from yes. the 2018 team. I mean, there are just a few members of that team left, and he's really the prominent one. He's like the the sole, I think, as Bauman put it, tentpole, but just like the, yeah. the franchise player, the cornerstone. Yep. He's the only one who's still standing, and you had to wonder whether he would want to still stand there right. after everyone else left, and clearly he did, and he went right. there, and he got a good deal, and, and good for him. But they at least changed it from we're the Red Sox and we can't keep our great players to, well, finally we kept one. And yeah, we can second guess and wonder why they didn't keep the other ones. Was it that they cheaped out? Did they actually like Devers better as a long-term bet? Or and that could be true. Could be true. Or were they just almost backed into a, a corner because they had taken such PR hits yeah. that, that they had brought on themselves by losing the other guys or trading them away? And now they just, they needed to keep Devers right. really to avoid like being tarred and feathered and run out right. of town on a rail, basically. It's it's almost like the Yankees really needed to keep Judge for right. sort of similar reasons. Like the Yankees are, are better, obviously, and, yeah. and they are more likely to make the playoffs and be real contenders in 2023. And so they needed Aaron Judge for that reason. But also they needed Aaron Judge because, you know, like they had not made other moves and not brought in other superstars. And it was like, well, we're going to spend on Judge. And if they had not spent on Judge, then people would have been very upset. And also they would have had a huge hole on their roster that would have been difficult to fill. And all those things, uh, even though Devers is not the player that Judge is currently, uh, 
and wasn't in 2022, a lot of those things still apply. So if they just they had to they had to do it. I mean, yes. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have done it, but, right. but they also they had to do it. They so, had to do it, and they did. And you could have said that they had to keep Mookie Betts or they had to keep Sander Bogarts, and they didn't do those things. So they right. did do this thing. So. That in itself is an improvement, and there's still a whole lot of question marks surrounding this roster and this team, and why didn't they do this, and why now? But better to do this now than to continue not to do the things that a team like the Red Sox should be doing. So it's it's progress in that respect, but you're right. It is just kind of a confusing team and a confusing few years for that team. John Henry was played by the same actor in Moneyball as the guy who was John Hammond's son in The Lost World Jurassic Park, and he got <laughs> chomped on. So maybe John Henry's like, oh, boy, I don't want to get eaten by a dinosaur. Got to be- That could be, too. You know, have to be the non-chomped-on ver- version of Arliss Howard, you know, right. don't want to yeah. get- that was just as much a, a cautionary tale a warning as the, the Red Sox fans right. booing him. Just a shot across the bow there. Right. But we haven't even mentioned the terms. Uh, it's it's an 11-year extension, $331 million, although some sources have reported it as a 10-year extension because they had the day before agreed on a 2023 contract, yeah. avoiding Devers' final year of arbitration. So that was going to be a one-year $17.5 million deal, and, and I guess that just kind of got incorporated into this. So you tear up the one-year deal and, and add 10 years onto it, and now it's an 11-year deal for right. $331 million. So it's a, it's a big contract. It's, it's a big like contract. The, it's like the sixth largest ever, I think, yeah. in, in unadjusted dollars. And there are no opt-outs, and there's no no trade clause. Yes, we should say pending physical. Yeah, <laughs> that one Korea it like ruined it for everyone because uh, you know usually we we forget about the pending physical because it's just a formality. It everything technically is always pending physical, but now there's a little voice in the back of my head. Do I have to say pending physical every time? I think probably still not because yeah. uh, almost always it goes through, and maybe it's just assumed that it's pending physical. And Korea was just such an outlier, a deal of that magnitude, having not gone through. Not once, but but twice so far. So we can probably get away without saying pending physical every time. But yeah. pending physical. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the thing about Devers is that he's obviously a really good player. And I think in some ways he's underrated yes. because it's like the, the Bill James thing about how generalists get yes. underrated compared to specialists and people who are good at, at one particular category and they really excel and are extremely good at that and lead the league. They get more attention or a disproportionate amount of attention. We like loud tools. Yeah, right. And and Devers, he's, he's good at a lot of things, especially yeah. offensively. He's basically yeah. good at almost everything. And, you know, he gets on base and he makes pretty good contact, especially for a guy who hits for good power and he's pretty selective and he's consistent and he's fairly durable and, you know, like he, he does a lot of things well, everything except, I guess, run, like he doesn't steal a lot of bases. He's not a great asset on, on the base pass or anything, but in the batter's box, like he's, he's just selective and he's kind of the same year in, year out, but coming off his best offensive season probably. And because he doesn't lead the league in anything except for that one year when he hit a ton of doubles, which of course Fenway helps with that, but he hit 54 doubles in 2019, which led the AL and he also led the AL in total bases that year. But other than that, no black ink, no bold ink on his baseball reference page. And he hasn't even had a top 10 
MVP finish. Right. Maybe he should have at some point, but he hasn't. So in that sense, he's not really perceived to be a superstar, I guess, right. or, or we've probably talked less about him than we have comparable players who have louder skill sets or, right. or somehow their skill sets stand out more than his does. He's just like a good all-around player. And crucially, he is young. Yeah. As you said, he's a young 26. And so yep. this deal only takes him through his age 37 season, right. whereas all the other guys we've seen signing 10-year deals or longer, they're going up through like their age 39 or age 40 season. Right. So even at the end of this deal, he's still projected to be like a better than average hitter. Yeah. But as you said, he's probably going to have to move to first at some point. And, and yeah. even as a third baseman, he has not graded out well. His, no. his defensive metrics have not been good. And so that sort of saps his his value, his ceiling, where he's maybe like a four to five win type player than a six to seven to eight type player. Right. I guess he has had a year maybe where Fangraphs War would have given him something in that range. But as it is, it seems like he's settled in as like just an all-star level player, which yeah. he is, he's been an all-star for each of the past two seasons. And he still has some prime or close to prime yeah. seasons uh, ahead of him. Yeah. So of course you would want him. And uh, yeah. a deal like this magnitude, I think as Bauman pointed out, you could argue that the players who have gotten deals this big before Devers were better than Devers, were maybe more elite than Devers, but you have to factor in this market and the kind of contracts that have been handed out and his youth, yep. and and it doesn't look wildly out of line no. or anything. So it, it's not like the Red Sox got some sort of steal here. It doesn't seem like, nor would you expect them to, because he was entering his final year of arbitration. Right. He was about to be a free agent. And as you said, he was positioned to really cash in in the free agent yeah. market next winter. So they weren't going to get a great discount here, or a, a hometown sweetheart deal. But they got to keep their guy and it's someone yeah. to build around and, and they do have a lot of building around to do, yeah. but at least a lot less than they would have if Devers had left as well. Right. Yeah. I think that in addition to like alleviating the problem of having to find similar quality production from someone who isn't already in their organization, it gives them, you know, something to build around and stability saying like we the Devers piece is done. We have this guy. He's going to be here for the next decade. We know what he's going to make that entire time. We can kind of game out payroll around that. And, you know, assuming that they are willing to spend at some point and maybe spend in a way that sort of tracks <laughs> <laughs> more obviously toward trying to win, like having payroll certainty, even if it comes with a big contract, I think is an underrated value. Like part of what a big a big part, the biggest part, I want to make clear, the biggest part of what makes the Braves' young cost control core valuable to Atlanta is the cost control element to it, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, that's really valuable. And having that amount of certainty in your roster is also super valuable to a team because I think it allows you to game out off seasons and trade deadlines with a, a good deal more confidence and certainty than you would otherwise. This is obviously that on a, 
both much smaller and much larger scale, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. In terms of how much money is concentrated in one guy and how few guys sort of meet that criteria when you look at Boston's roster. But I think that, that that's a, a valuable piece. And you're right that to some extent, this hel- allows them to say when people are like, well, why are you guys doing this? They're like, well, we've, we have paid, we have done the thing you have asked. We have paid don't eat us like a dinosaur, you know? <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. It's like the little baby T-Rex that eats that guy, you know? Yeah, don't so. eat the rich, not this particular rich person. Right, please. yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. I feel like I really stumbled into a nice little analogy here. Mm-hmm. And yeah. also, underrated flick, you know? Like, our best Julianne Moore is in that one, you know? <laughs> of all the of all the Jurassic Parks, in hindsight, that one reads really well, because I can get to tell you about some of the recent ones, they've been stinkers. Yeah, I can't confirm, not because I disagree, but because I just have not seen it. I've really lost touch with the Jurassic franchise yeah. <laughs> over the last several years, which yeah. I don't know how much I've missed. But uh, You know, not a lot. Yeah. So did you get faked out the day before like I did, uh, like a lot of people did when they reported the terms of the, the arbitration, avoiding yeah, arbitration Passion deal? Yeah, did that on purpose. Like, yeah. I don't know. I haven't <laughs> talked to him about it, but- Jeff, we're on to you. We know yeah. we know what's what. You were trying to get a, a little yeah. rise out of Twitter as if yeah. that's hard to do. Yeah. A lot of people were posting the, you know, like Red Sox and, and Raphael Devers are in agreement on a, and you think, oh my gosh, here it yeah. is, the extension. And then it's like a one year, 17.5 right. million deer. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. I was trying to think of like how you should have phrased that just to to let everyone know this is not the deal that you're hoping and-, and Right. This is not the <laughs> deal. Is, it is no, a deal. This is- just another deal like it should come with some sort of warning or like (laughs) content warning like this is not that (laughs) exciting i mean it's just like don't get too excited folks but you know that should have been the preface but anyway if you did get prematurely excited you only had a day or so to be disappointed because then you did get the extension that you were hoping for right you know you were not left twisting in the wind unlike carlos correa who you know (laughs) twist and bend yeah. Speaking of Carlos is making news, we, we buried the lead here because right. who had it first? Carlos Baerga yeah. had the Rafael Devers extension Just first. Like we all expected. <laughs> Just so amusing to have to watch Ken Rosenthal and, and all the acknowledged news breaking authorities yeah. credit Carlos Baerga for being yeah. first. Like Carlos Baerga is just like just a chaos agent of yeah. the offseason. Just it comes off the top rope sometimes and is completely wrong and in other times really does know what he's talking about. Like it, it's just it amuses me to no end to see Carlos Baerga breaking news because yeah. it's just like it's a remember some guy's oh, guy yeah. basically who's also making major news or breaking major news here. It's like there aren't that many players like that who right. are former players and also newsbreakers. I mean, yeah. I guess uh, connected to the Red Sox, there's Lou Merloni, who was a, a contemporary of Carlos Baerga's a Good 90s, man, 2000s uh, infielder. But he's like been a member of the media. Like he right. had a radio show and everything. Whereas right. Carlos Baerga, as far as I can tell, he's just like he's outside the mainstream news. Like he's just out there on his Instagram account, like breaking news every now and then. And if if MLB trade rumors crashed for some reason, you could follow the offseason's happenings through Carlos Baerga's Instagram account. Yeah. Because he basically puts a, a post out about 
almost every move that happens, like every signing, every trade. He's not breaking all of these, but he will just, just in case you're monitoring baseball news via Carlos Bayerga's Instagram, he will clue you in to even like Wade Miley signing, yeah. right? And and he's like, he's been a, a manager in Puerto Rico since his career. He's uh, been a coach in the World Baseball Classic. Like he's he's in and around the game but it doesn't seem like he's he's been a member of the media exactly and yet he just uh, he tosses bombs into the the public square here because yep. he reported the Justin Verlander deal and and he got those terms pretty accurate and he was first on that <laughs> and he also reported Marcus Semyon to the yeah. Blue Jays in 2021 but then he's also been extremely wrong sometimes. Oh, so yeah. he, he said that Freddie Freeman would sign with the Blue Jays and that didn't happen. No. And then he also suggested that the Giants were going to sign Aaron Judge and Carlos Correa. Yes. I think he phrased it a San Francisco source who is at the meetings in San Diego, letting us know that with the signing of Aaron Judge between today and tomorrow, the team could be signing El Nuestro, the SS Carlos Correa, too. So he was reporting that they might get both of those. So yeah. obviously the team did have interest in, in both of them. But that coming on the heels of of him correctly calling the Verlander deal, it was like, whoa, wait, do we need to take Carlos Bayerga seriously right. here? Are the Giants getting Correa and Judge? And then, of course, they didn't get either of those. Yeah, it, turn, was, it turned uh, out not. Yeah. He's not the only person to uh, be fooled by that. And he did spell <laughs> Aaron correctly, unlike some others. Yeah. So no arsons here. Yeah, so he's been kind of a credible source sometimes and then completely off at other yep. times. And I just, I enjoy, if you look at his Instagram, like he has a, a format, there's like a template. He has like a motto, like he has a catchphrase. It's like <laughs> the the top of all of his Instagram posts are like, me gustan los deportes. Like we like sports, like junto a Bayerga y sus amigos. Like we like sports, like Bayerga and his friends, like together. Yeah. Like it's just like a, it's a branding thing. Yeah. And at the bottom, it's like sponsored too. He has like a whole row of right. sponsors at the bottom of his Instagram posts. Incredible. So some of them are like local restaurants or or some of the, there's like Pudge's Coffee. Like Yvonne Rodriguez has a coffee brand I learned <laughs> from fantastic. his sponsorship of Cars That's great. But, but then there's also like Goya is it's sponsoring him and like a Ford dealership. There's like 10 different sponsors at the bottom Goya, of all like of his- like the food company? Yeah. <laughs> so huh. I just, I, need, I have so many questions. I need to know yeah. more. Is he making a, a lot of money out of this? Is uh, like, does he have ambitions to to be a big newsbreaker, a media figure? Yeah. How does like, <laughs> including Wade Miley signs for one year in 4.5 million with the Brewers, like right next to, you know, Eric Cosmer. He has it branded as like some of them are signings, some of them are trades, and some of them are rumors, rumores. So that was Rafael Devers as he was reporting a, a rumor and it was yeah. basically spot on. So I just I really appreciate just the, the aesthetics of his Instagram feed and, and how diligent he is and how accurate he's been sometimes and how way off he has been at other yeah. times. It's just great. And I have enjoyed this, I think, more than anything, any kind of chaos in baseball news breaking since teenagers who no one had ever heard of were, were suddenly breaking every transaction. This is, I think, either better or the next best thing, just having some some player you remember from 20 years ago resurface as an occasionally accurate newsbreaker. 
Yeah, it's a funny thing. And you wonder, like, is there a particular... I always wonder about, like, the longevity of the constellation of people who are presumably helping him to get some of these, right? Right? Like, sometimes... You'll have we'll have total randos and you know he's not a total rando, but like we'll have total randos break news and it's because they happen to know a person right. who works in an org and they get a they get right. a good tip and then they're done. Katy Perry's booty hole wet right. butt twenty three. Right, yeah. that booty hole had like mm-hmm. one good run yep. in it. I don't know. Mm, <laughs> I have regrets, but you know what I mean. Like they they have a person they mm-hmm. have a guy and then you know that person changes orgs or they just don't get any more good dope or like sometimes it becomes really obvious who their source is and so then they don't get information after that because the org is like hey stop talking to that guy so you know sometimes they're like they shine brightly and then they yeah and then they don't anymore like what which is it in astronomy like which are the ones that they they burn really bright the stars and then they're done sure right you know like those so Mm -hmm. it's like that and then sometimes you know we start to see a, a network of sources cultivated and those folks go from being like high volume shooters basically and they're like some of these are going to be right and some of them are going to be wrong and then they they really they lock in and they become a reliable source of intel a weirdly good source of intel so i i wonder what we will i wonder what we'll get yeah you know he, he must have a, a team of of graphic designers so people right. who, <laughs> graphic design is maybe, their passion and i was just... gonna say maybe graphic design is his passion could be he might could be doing be. it himself we don't know yeah it's a bayerga sus amigos it's bayerga and his friends i mean what a what a motto what a phrase yeah. i like sports <laughs> quote yeah. me gustan los deportes that's that's my motto my slogan i like sports it's yeah. pretty good yeah we know where he stands i guess all right well as you said the the upcoming free agent classes very weak particularly on the position player side so devers was due to be a free agent next winter it's just gonna be the otani show next winter i mean that was gonna be true anyway yeah but it's it's really gonna be true yeah and and he's a a position player technically i guess he's really an ace level pitcher and a dh right but he's really like the only elite guy kind of on the offensive side because extensions and other signings and just the variability of free agent classes it's going to be a lot thinner for the next two off seasons really there are plenty of starting pitchers who are going to be available but uh, other than otani like machado can opt out of his contract next winter yeah so and and assuming he's healthy and good this season he should opt out he should do that he will get a lot of money if he does that Right. But, you know, he'll be past 30. He is past 30 now. So that will somewhat limit his sure. uh, his long-term earnings. So, so what we've seen this offseason with everyone signing 10, 11, 12, 13-year deals, right. I don't know that that will continue beyond Otani next winter because even though we talked about how all of these conditions were conducive for that, I, I think it also did depend on having this crop of really elite and young-ish free agents and also Aaron Judge coming off one of the best seasons of all time. So that will ebb and flow from winter to winter, and I don't think we will see quite that happening next winter, regardless of what the economy is doing or interest rates are doing at that time. But really, it's Otani, and then it's maybe Machado, and then I don't know who the next best free, like Matt Matt Chapman, maybe, is the next best available free. There's a, a big decline. And then the offseason after that, again, it looks like there are plenty of starting pitchers available and all of this. Uh, these guys could sign extensions before then. Who knows? But Juan Soto 
If right. he doesn't sign an extension before then, then he would be the headline guy. But other than that, I, I guess Pete Alonso maybe, but then it's it's other guys who are kind of getting on in years. Uh, maybe Alex Bregman, if he doesn't sign an extension. So right. there are some guys, but it's not like this winter. No, then, it's not like this winter. You know, maybe the winter after that, you're going to get like... Guerrero and Bichette and Tucker. Right. I mean, this is all so far in the future right. that who knows that any of these guys will be available. But right. half of those guys are going to get locked up by long-term extensions, I would hazard. Yeah. And of course, there could be players who have a huge 2023 or 2024, and that massive walkier platform year makes them more appealing as a free agent than we would think of them being now. But if you were one of the teams that tried and failed to sign one of the marquee hitters this winter, or you were one of the teams, you know, you were the Mariners or the Orioles or the Marlins or insert some other team that wasn't really even in the running, that might make that more disappointing from a fan's perspective because you can't necessarily count on another another player of that caliber coming along next year or the year after only one team can get Otani next winter I, yeah it it doesn't even like as, as assuming he's healthy and and good again in 2023 yeah. if he has another MVP caliber campaign he's he's going to break every record because yep. he will be what entering his his age 29 season this was uh this was his age 27 season although he's he's one of those guys unlike Devers who's like old for his baseball age because uh he's born July 5th right and right. and baseball age is your age as of June 30th and so he turns the next age like shortly right. shortly after his Machado's right. kind of like that too right where yeah, he's Machado's a, like that yeah, he's an exactly. early July birthday right yeah and so uh, Otani will be entering you know he just finished his age 27 season, but he turned 28 in early July, like halfway through the season, basically. So he will be entering technically his age 29 season, but, you know, closer to to age 30, sort of. But because he's Otani, like uh, he will just, he will smash every record. And some people have speculated that the Dodgers, who, as we speak on Thursday afternoon, still have Trevor Bauer under contract and on their roster. He has still not been released, which is what, just... What percentage of you is nervous now? The fact that it's taken this long, like even if they do ultimately release him before the Friday deadline... Yeah, like it's what like, are we doing? It's a less resounding statement Right. Than it would have been, I think, even if they ultimately do release yeah. him, if if they had to take up until the last second yeah. to decide to cut ties, it's it's sending a little bit less of a clear message yeah. than it would have if like the day the decision came down, they're like, okay, he's reinstated, but not on the Dodgers. We're we're done with him, even though yeah. we have to pay him. So they're just they're really dragging it out. Like it it produces the impression that they're having to have a lot of conversations about whether they want to do this. Like, I don't know what other, yeah. If there's red tape, if there are procedural things, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but it has been reported for a while now that, that they would release him or that many members of the Dodgers want him to be released. And and I still assume that will be the case, but boy, they're they're not acting fast to do that. Anyway, what I was going to say is that it's been speculated that the Dodgers, because they are just a teeny, teeny, tiny bit below the competitive balance tax threshold right now, even having to pay Bauer most of his salary for 2023, people are speculating that they're trying to reset their taxes. They would have been, if they had gone over again, they would have uh, triggered the highest penalty. 
And so if they're trying to reset now so they can completely blow everyone out of the water and just break the bank for Otani, whoever gets him is going to have to do that and should be happy to do that to get Shohei Otani and all of the on and off the field value he brings. But it's going to be like the sweepstakes to end all sweepstakes. What is the optimal time for him to sign? Not... (sighs) For us, but mm-hmm. what is the best time for Otani to sign for you and me? <laughs> <laughs> you mean in terms of like making the offseason interesting? Yeah. Or, yeah, because yeah, like I think we can say with great confidence, he's just going to he's going to break every record. It's going to be a number heretofore unseen in professional sports, not just in baseball, but generally like all of that stuff. I think we can take as a given. I don't think there's like a ton of strategic advantage to waiting versus going early because it's just like that i don't think that's gonna move the needle in any kind of meaningful way when it comes to what the ultimate contract is so like in Mm -hmm. terms of like maximum fun what's Mm -hmm. the most fun it could be well i think it would be fun if he were traded this this coming season Mm. and i i mean look it would be fun if the angels were good and they didn't have to trade him because uh the moves that they've made this offseason paid off and he he got to go to the playoffs with mike trout together for maybe the last season but if that doesn't happen again if i know it's hard to imagine but if the angels disappointed somehow as improbable as that seems never happened before yeah but there's a first time for everything so if that happened then if they were to trade him then we would get the intrigue of of multiple rounds of who's going to get otani right and we could see him make the stretch run with someone and and see some giant prospect package even though he'd only be under team control for half a season it's it's still shohei otani so that would be intriguing but as for his free agency It could be one of those situations where if he doesn't sign, he kind of holds up the market because if you're in the running for Otani, you basically have to apportion some huge percentage of your payroll to him and and you have to earmark many, many millions of dollars. And so even if other players are not like great Otani alternatives, you know, it's not like there's a plan B exactly. It's like, if we don't get Otani, we'll just, we'll get the next best two-way player. There isn't really anyone else right. out there. So he might not hold up off seasons in that sense where it's like, he's just, he's the unicorn. So it's not like everyone else who is like a lesser unicorn needs to wait to see where Otani signs, but teams will need to wait to see, like, are we spending $50 million or whatever it is on Shohei Otani next year or not. So they might not be willing to proceed with the rest of their off seasons until there is some resolution there. So on the one hand, it would be intriguing, I guess, to have that linger and, and be an ongoing storyline about who's going to get him. But it might slow down everything else to the extent that it it would be better for it to happen early and then for everyone to be able to get excited about where's Otani going to be and maybe he's on a contending team now and if you signed him then you get the maximum amount of time to market off of that and sell season tickets based on the fact that you get to see Shohei Otani next year yeah I think I'm into that I'm into Mm -hmm. that but also it's going to be so boring afterward yeah well nothing can compare to that it's true yeah right maybe Carlos Correa will be <laughs> yeah, maybe he'll opt out again. Maybe he still won't be signed. Who knows? It seems likely to me that they will get this done and, and soon, but what form it takes. I wouldn't dare speculate, Ben. Wouldn't yeah. dare to speculate. 
yeah, others have dared. Yeah. <laughs> when, when it was reported that Steve Cohen's like searching, seeking some some special provisions, uh, probably they're just like protection in the event that whatever body part has been flagged, ankle or leg or whatever it is, if that does break down, then you get some sort of recourse there. But right. people were speculating about all sorts of strange contract provisions that could be built into this thing to get it done. I'm sure we'll find out sometime soon. Yeah. All right. A few follow-ups and lesser news items here. I saw this tweet to uh, to stray into somewhat political territory for a second. Uh, as we are recording, I think Kevin McCarthy is on, what, his, his eighth attempt to become Speaker of the House, something like that. I think the seventh failed not long before we started recording. I bring this up only to note, I saw a tweet a couple days ago earlier in his failed attempts this was from Matt Fuller, Washington bureau chief for the Daily Beast, and Matt tweeted, Representative Blake Moore, Republican from Utah, just made the argument for Kevin McCarthy continuing to lead Republicans by saying, quote, you don't take out a pitcher in the middle of a no-hitter, <laughs> which that caught my eye. Uh, baseball analogies, uh, Brian Curtis wrote about this years ago that that politics uses baseball analogies all the time. I mean, baseball analogies have seeped into many other fields, but politics in particular. But this one fails for me on multiple levels. You don't yeah. take out a pitcher in the middle of a no-hitter. I mean, first of all, that presupposes that, that Kevin McCarthy is pitching a no-hitter right. in some way. But beyond that, also... It is kind of a tell me you haven't paid attention to yeah. baseball lately without telling me that, right? Because yeah. you don't take out a pitcher in the middle of a no-hitter. Actually, everyone does that these days. That usually happens yeah. now. <laughs> it's commonplace. We've talked about that. You hardly bat an eye anymore when a pitcher is removed in the middle of a no-hitter. It's just it's expected, and it it's uh, maybe beneficial even in your attempts to win, even though it's uh, kind of a bummer sometimes. But you absolutely do do that, Representative Blake Moore. So uh, you got to update your your understanding of, of the way pitching usage works now. Also, wouldn't it be better to understand, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of a podcast-friendly way to describe that group of Republicans. Hmm. <laughs> Isn't Kevin McCarthy the hitter in this analogy? Right. You could definitely make that case yeah right? I think matt matt said that in his tweet as well yeah like <laughs> yes. he's the hitter he's the hitter being no hit that's the right. whole problem for him you know like yeah. what do they call themselves we're really letting them get away with the freedom caucus we're like seeding <laughs> that ground really <laughs> anyway but like aren't aren't they the ones pitching the no hitter at this point yeah i, I guess so kind of Maybe it, it just it doesn't really work like, on any level. If I don't they think. are, then the party as a whole has issued a lot of walks. Like if we're <laughs> counting the votes as anyway, I don't yeah. even know, man. I don't even know what a <laughs> what a mess that I haven't had any delay in at all. You know, yep. like why would you accuse me of that? Like why would you even suggest that I've found it funny? What else? We also had uh, Marwins. Uh, the Marwins designated Charles LeBlanc. I for assignment, Charles LeBlanc, we hardly knew you. Yeah. Literally, we hardly knew you. We didn't know you until last At week. All. Yeah. And now you're gone. Legend. No sooner did we discover your existence and your pretty productive 2022 season than the Marlins have uh, have cut bait. Yeah. They have uh, let loose. <laughs> the LeBlanc is loose. I guess this is a result of their signing Gene Segura and needing a spot on the, the 40 man. Yeah. And Charles LeBlanc was the one 
to go. So I'm sad. It's it's almost like you reminded them that he existed. Maybe they forgot that did they had I, Charles like, LeBlanc. Did I and cross then, Charles LeBlanc yeah, or Officer They LeBlanc? listened to Effectively Wild and they were like, oh, right, Charles LeBlanc. Yeah, we, we didn't mean we to have get him. rid of that guy. Yeah, but we forgot he existed. And now that we know, we, we can get rid of him, I guess. So sort of sad. I mean, I'm sure he'll catch on somewhere. Maybe the Tigers, who uh, reportedly pursued and failed to sign Segura, can have Charles LeBlanc. They could have Gene Segura at home can be Charles LeBlanc. But I'm sure he'll end up somewhere. But man, we, we just just got up to speed on Charles LeBlanc, and, and he's gone already. Here's the way that the narrative needs to unfold. So we we mentioned before, I mentioned before, I was concerned that we had perhaps done the minor league free agent draft too soon, right? That there mm-hmm. were all of these you know, guys who, uh, had we waited a week, might have found their way onto one of our draft boards you know, if we had waited. And here's what needs to happen. I need Charles LeBlanc to sign a minor league deal somewhere, and then I need him to just destroy all of us and the control group, right? <laughs> Make us feel small for having yeah. not known him and then having been so casual as right. to as to be like, yeah, yeah, they've been waiting to get rid of that guy. So yeah. Charles, we mm-hmm. wish you well. Make us yeah. feel badly about our choices, I think. Yeah. Well, he was uh, he was not available to be drafted, right? right? He was not a minor league free agent, even if he oh, signed. Oh, yeah, so I guess that's true. So we won't have to feel bad about not drafting him, but we could feel bad about not knowing him. Yeah, you're right. I don't know. I don't know if that entire little jaunt I just took is worth keeping in then. Well, I I mean, he could still uh, sign a minor league contract and and outperform many minor league free agent draftees. But really, like, it's also it's sort of surprising, not only because he just recently entered our radar and came to our attention, but because... The Marlins, even after signing Segura, they don't have like a wealth of position playing right. talent. And so I looked and and Charles LeBlanc, he made his major league debut last year on July 30th. And from July 30th on, Charles LeBlanc was the second most productive Marlins position player by Fangraph's war. <laughs> there was, there's only one better, Brian De La Cruz, yeah. who, who some people have high hopes for entering this year. Yeah. He had 1.0 war from July 30th on, and Charles LeBlanc had 0.9, and no one else had more than half a win above replacement. I mean, it was it was bleak. So I guess either they don't believe in Charles LeBlanc to maintain that performance because he he did have a uh, 374 BABIP, and he did strike out. 31.4% of the time. And, you know, there were indicators there that maybe suggested that he was playing a little bit over his head, which makes me feel a little bit less bad about not knowing that he existed until very yeah. recently. But still, the Marwins, they can't be choosers, you know, when it comes to good position players. So I, I guess they felt like he just he either wouldn't repeat that performance or they wouldn't have a spot for him. But it is sort of striking that they just designated like their their second best position player basically yeah. in in the second half of last season. It just says more about their group of position players than it does about Charles LeBlanc. But still, but still, yeah. Anyway, happy trails. Glad to have known you. Hope we get to know you again somewhere else. Now yeah. that we've invested all of that time and effort and done the research to figure out that he existed and also some salient facts about him, I hope we can put that knowledge to use next season. I, I hesitated over saying next season because yeah. as you tweeted, yeah. the nice thing about 
being in a new year and happy new year, everyone, if we didn't officially formally say so last time. Oh, yeah, happy but new year. The everyone. nice thing about yeah. that for, for baseball writers and, and editors is that you can finally say last year when you're talking about last season or you can say last season and it's very clear that you're yes. talking about 2022 and not 2021 and that's always a great relief to be able to do that because I think one of the the underrated aspects of baseball is that it is contained within a single calendar year. Yes. So even though it takes up a lot of that calendar year, you can just say the 2022 season yep. and you don't have to do the nonsense that you have to do in all the other major sports where yeah. you, you have to do the 2022 to 2023 season. Right. You, know, you, you might have to do that for a baseball off season, but much more rarely. So it's just, it's really great. Even though baseball continues for most of the year, it, it lasts so long. It's all within the same calendar year. So we don't have to couch that or be confused or anything, but it does get a little confusing late in the year after the season is over when you have to say this year, this season, last year, last season. So once we flip over to the following January, everyone is, uh, is on the same calendar page and, and on the same page when we talk about these things. So it's a great relief. Yeah, it, it is a weight that is lifted yeah. and it just really cuts down on the amount of slacking I have to do. Right, because mm -hmm. I I was always having to be like, which year do we mean? What do you mean? And right. now I don't have to do that, so I just get to talk about baseball instead. It's it's delightful. Yep. And also, last time we we talked about that Emily in Paris uh, baseball scene. Yeah. And and you mentioned the Sears Tower, right? And that came up. Uh, you noted that the Sears Tower is in Chicago. You you asked me to confirm that it was in Chicago, and I did. But what neither of us noted is that the Sears Tower is no longer known as the Sears Tower. And so, as many helpful listeners uh, wrote it or tweeted it or commented in somewhere or another, it's now the Willis Tower. The Sears yeah. Tower is the Willis Tower. Not a big issue because uh, everyone knows what we meant when we said Sears Tower. But I think this is kind of a case in point. This is what we're attempting to illustrate when we talk about how people should consult us, a subject matter expert, when they're doing their baseball scene. And so if their actor says uh, incorrectly or the script says incorrectly, two outs left in the bottom of the ninth, right, when actually there weren't two outs left, but also no one would say two outs left and, and there are other anomalies and things that just for a baseball fan make you perk up and say, that's not quite right. That's not quite how it was, how it would be said. That's not authentic. If we were making a show about Chicago, right. or the Chicago skyline or, or architecture, we would consult someone also, right? Like we would not right. trust ourselves. I mean, no. we would at least probably Google and then we could have known that the Sears Tower is the Willis Tower now. And maybe we did know that. But if we were to make like a, a special show about that. We right. would probably bring on someone who is from Chicago or knows about Chicago architecture. So we, in a sense, illustrated by making that minor mistake, we illustrated the minor mistake that the producers of Emily in Paris were making by not consulting someone on their baseball scene or not heeding their advice and thus making us, the baseball people, say, oh, something's off there in a similar way to when we were talking about the Sears Tower, Chicago residents probably said, oh, something's not quite right there. It's the Willis Tower now. I bet a lot of people from Chicago still call it the Sears Tower, though. I wouldn't want to speculate, but I would posit <laughs> but probably, that it's, yes. I would posit that it's possible. And part yeah. of my thinking is that I'm just going to call it Safeco Field 
Right. It's the same. We've had that discussion, right? right. About how and, the, and the corporate sponsor like, changes. Yeah. Right. And it's not like Sears was named after like an architect named, you know, Jane Sears. And then they called it the Sears Tower. No, it was because like Sears, the retailer was headquartered there. I think there was a literal Sears in the Sears Tower, at least at some point. And now it's like some insurance company that has the naming rights. But, you know, you know. We don't remember these things. And so if you're from a place, you just call it the thing it was initially called, kind of like how, you know, it's a century link field. And now it's Lumen Field, I think. And it was originally Quest Field. And every now and again, I will be like, it's Quest Field. And I was like, that's wrong. I don't even know if Quest, yeah. like the telecom company still exists. I mean, I don't know that Sears still exists. But I bet there are a lot of people from... Chicago and the greater Chicago land area who call it the Sears Tower still because like yeah. what is the Willis group you know yeah. who are they what is I their business about it's about insurance and reinsurance I'm learning from the Wikipedia <laughs> but like yeah you didn't know that yeah the the Willis Tower Wikipedia page says local area residents still refer to the building by its old name see see yeah. But mm-hmm. but to your point, I would never I would never dream of consulting on Chicago right. uh, for something because I'm not from Chicago. I've never lived there. I don't know the ins and outs. I'd be reticent to be an advisor on a series about Seattle at this point because the city's changing so quickly that you know my my referent is is rapidly going out of date. Although mm-hmm. I would bring a long time residence perspective on it. You know. Yeah. So. Right. Anyway, it was the Sears Tower a lot longer than it has been the Willis yeah. Tower since. Anyway, get off my uh, back. No, <laughs> other people also uh, pointed us to an SNL skit where uh, Peyton Manning mm. espoused the virtues of Emily in Paris. So not just Jim Palmer, another prominent athlete, or at least the character that Peyton Manning was was playing in that skit. Very high on Emily in Paris. Wait, Peyton Manning was on SNL recently enough that Emily in Paris was like out yeah. in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not I'm not always up to date on on SNL. So yeah. I'm surprised. That entire sentence surprised me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. And also, uh, I talked for the umpteenth time about uh, ways that baseball is unique or if not unique, unusual. I just I keep following up on that as I think of other ways in which it is uh, it is very unusual. And one obvious way so last time I, I talked uh, prompted by reading Russell Carlton's upcoming book, and he noted that the fields are asymmetrical, not just different dimensions, but also asymmetrical dimensions. And he he noted that it has one-way substitution. And as I said, these things are not unique, but they are unusual. There are right. some other sports that have similar things. But someone in one of our various fora and places where people can post things about the podcast, and I forget which one it was now, apologies to whoever made this comment, but just made the obvious observation that baseball is, if not unique, very unusual in that there are just so many games, right? So the initial thing that prompted this discussion was that the baseball itself is replaced so many times. And then we got into the other things that would be on a a Mount Rushmore or a top five of ways that baseball is weird, whether it's the dimensions or the defense uh, initiating the action or the stats or the managers wearing (laughs) the same uniforms as the players or no clock, et cetera, et cetera. But there are just so many games. I mean, that's one very obvious way. And you could say it's a, a bug or a feature, a plus or a minus, but they're just way more games than there are. Yeah, in, so many games. 
I don't want to say every sport, but almost all of them, right? right. Almost all the, the major ones in North America, at least. And, and there are multiple reasons for that. I mean, one reason is, I guess it's it's not as strenuous and high contact as some other sports, which is not to say that it's not somewhat strenuous and, and that there are no uh, injuries and contact injuries, but but less so. And so there's a little less recovery time required between baseball games generally. So there's that. And then there's the fact that you just need a lot of games to find out who the good players and the good teams are, right? Just because there's so much randomness just in the way the sport works and I guess the number of trials per contest, you know, and the number of points scored and and all of that, like you get a better read on a a true talent of, let's say, a tennis player in one match or a basketball team in one game of basketball than you do a baseball player in one game of baseball. So, So there's that and there are other historical factors. And, you know, maybe there's also a benefit to just playing every day with some of the finesse skills and the techniques that are involved in baseball and, and you would get rusty more quickly potentially if you were to sit out a certain amount of time there are a lot of reasons for it but but that is one thing that probably should have come to my mind sooner i don't think i mentioned it maybe i did but that would probably be on on the top five i just like 162 games that's just a ridiculous number of games (laughs) in addition to spring training games and postseason games so tack on a couple more months basically of of games there so just a lot of games a lot of games always be that many games there there may be fewer games at some point but there have been a lot of games for a long time so i think that is definitely one of the defining characteristics of the sport yeah it's just it's just so many games. And then, you know, there are other sports where I have this experience of both the NHL playoffs and the NBA playoffs where I'm like, they just go on forever. The playoffs last like as long as the regular season seemingly. And I know that's yeah. not quite true, but they, they do go on for for quite a, a time. And it's not like the, you know, MLB playoffs are so short. I'm not saying the MLB, I'm saying the MLB playoffs. And in that yes. case, using those, <laughs> okay. just, you know, just so everyone knows. But anyway, it's not like they don't go on for a while. They do. But relative to the season, it's like, oh, gone in the yeah. blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And it probably goes on longer than it needs to. And in the NBA's case, you could right. definitely dispense with some of that and still get a pretty good read on the best teams. But in baseball, it would need to go on much longer, as we have noted, in order to get a good read on the best yeah. teams. So. All right. And uh, also, I guess one story that that could have been in our series on stories we didn't talk about from the past season, this was submitted belatedly by Nick. And it was uh, Brewers-Dodgers related because it was about Dodgers TV broadcaster David Vassi. Oh, yeah. I may be mispronouncing his last name. It's uh, V-A-S-S-E-G-H. Vassay? Vassy? Vassay? I don't know. I'm sorry. but <laughs> I like how you were like, let me end by making it fancy. <laughs> yeah. But he broke his arm and six ribs yeah. going going down the slide at, I guess, what we're calling American Family Field these days, right? And so the, the famous Brewer's Slide... The slide that Bernie Brewer has uh, slid down who knows how many times without incident. This poor Dodgers TV broadcaster, which I was aware of at the time, and and we didn't talk about it. And I didn't want to, like, laugh at the guy too much, although... 
his colleagues on the broadcast did. <laughs> but once it was clear that he was okay, yeah. I mean, kind of okay. Like he he broke a lot of bones and ribs and stuff. But like they they kind of you know they gave him some crap for that once he was uh, back on the air. Yeah, and there's a, a video which they broadcasted to kind of make fun of him and i guess he was good natured about it but he was really looking forward to going down this slide for a long time and then he finally got to go down the slide and the video of him going down he says holy crap all the way down he's like holy crap holy crap holy crap he's been talking for three days about going down the slide here in milwaukee i've never heard somebody so excited about doing anything and david did do it today watch all right here we go Holy crap! 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 I do my own stunts. And then at the end, it's a lot like the the grape stomp video, yeah. which uh, I think I think turns twenty five this year. The the great viral grape stomp video, where the lady is uh, stomping grapes to make wine, and then falls out of the the grape stomping thing and and makes moans of pain, and uh, you get the live real time reaction from the broadcasters back in the studio. That was just a, a huge hit with me when it came out, or when I became aware of it as a kid. One of the the early viral videos. And it's kind of like that because uh, this guy's just he's having the time of his life and he's sliding down on his jacket, which I don't know if that was his mistake. Like, was that the tactical error Mm. that he was sliding down on his jacket? So he like minimized the friction too much. I I guess he was trying to preserve his pants, possibly. Maybe he he went too fast. He flew too close to the sun on the slide and he just slammed into this wall at the bottom of the slide. Ben, the technical term that you're looking for here, and I'm going to do a a swear, he ate shit that is the technical term i'm watching this again we know that he's okay and so when i i'm gonna put it on and you're gonna keep talking and then we i think people will be able to tell when he crashes because i will probably laugh so you go you continue you know he has eaten yeah technical term yeah no and and really like the problem was with his technique uh like i i hate to add insult to injury (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry he was okay oh no he's so he's in so much pain yeah he broke lots of stuff and like had a cast so he's okay in the sense that it wasn't like life-threatening but he wasn't really okay like he he hurt himself pretty significantly but you know he was uh, able to to laugh about it or at least take his lumps but really like i I don't know i've been through down a lot of slides in my life and and i guess i've had some sort of slide related injuries and i did break a collarbone when i was like five or six on a seesaw because there was just like a a miscommunication with my grandma i guess about who was getting on and who was getting off and and i got off in an unplanned way and broke a collarbone so I, i have some experience with this i guess but like Man, the technique, because he just like he he slid into now, I guess you could fault the construction for not adequately 
oh, padding yeah. the plate, but it, it is like it's padded. It's right? padded. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like you're sliding into a brick wall or something. Now, maybe right. there should be a longer slowdown period there before you run into anything. But also he ran into it like going into it in the side of his body with his arm like awkwardly tucked right. behind him you know this was not great sliding technique it's his first time i guess so i suppose it's forgivable but but yeah it was not how you draw it up it was not textbook mechanics for going down any sort of slide i would like to say three things the first is i really like how joe davis consummate professional he's trying so hard not to laugh as he introduces this clip to the point that he has to like kind of do a little like and then he laughs the decision to go down on the jacket, I think, was the the sort of fundamental mistake here. Yeah. Because I'm here to tell Yeah, he does hit his arm so awkwardly. I'm, yeah. I'm here to tell you this. I think that that slide is designed with a mascotted human in mind. Yes, yes. That's a lot of padding. every... This is not the first eaten on the brewer slide that I have heard of. <laughs> I just will say that I've heard tell of team employees being like, I'm going to go down the slide. And then they just wipe out. Thankfully, I think not to the extent that this guy did where it, you know, resulted in an injury and the need of of a cast. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's a hazard. It is a hazard. And I think that it is architected with a great deal more padding in mind. I can't believe the brewers let him go down on a jacket or like a burlap sack or whatever that was that was gonna cause him to go faster i can't believe that they weren't like no no don't do it and then here's the here's the last thing i'll say the lack of intervention by the other people on the platform at the bottom (laughs) oh that's like chilling you know because he he whams it he's in pain he is clearly wounded and there is not an immediate rushing in to be like oh god are you okay man (laughs) I don't know yeah. why I find this one so funny because like I hate America's funniest home video. I hate those. Like they uh-huh. just feel mean. I feel like I'm being mean spirited. But mm-hmm. you know, he seems like he's kind of game to to poke fun yeah. at himself. But you know, he's also clearly doing this pre-game, and then I think was just like casted up and w- and ready to go, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like on the one hand, it's like an admirable like I got to bear down and do my job, but also I think if you break your arm and a couple ribs at work, you're okay to take the day off if you need. Yeah. It. Like oh, I yeah. think you could. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying they made him work, but it's like, hey, guy, you know what? It's okay. You don't have to. You can take yeah. the day off. It's fine. Man, he really eats into that wall, though. <laughs> Holy does, crap. Though. Yeah. He just seems so excited to go down. Yeah. I just feel bad for him. The emotions, just what they a swing, have... what a roller coaster or a slide, I yeah. guess. <laughs> they shouldn't have uh, They shouldn't have let him go down on the, the jacket or whatever because yeah. I don't think you need to like decrease the friction. It's a steep slide. Right. Yeah. If someone put that in in like a McDonald's play place, they'd be like, no, we can't let the kids go down that. Right. Yeah. So was it to protect his pants? But then wouldn't you want to protect your jacket also? So maybe it was just because he thought he he needed it to slide. But no, if you can slide down that thing in a Bernie Brewer outfit, you can probably go down in in suit pants in business casual. So (laughs) apparently it is Vassay. According to another video oh. that I've uh, surreptitiously watched while we were talking. Quite fancy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And one other thing. Oh, Ben Clemens, uh, he wrote about the weird Dodgers offseason. Indeed. Which, which we've talked about and, and just alluded to earlier, the fact that they have not spent a lot and they've they've lost some stars. But he had a, a chart in there 
of net war lost in free agency this offseason. This was uh, as of Wednesday, I guess. And he found that the Dodgers have lost a lot of war and have not gained a lot of war. So they lost 21.3%. 2022 war so this is just this is last year war this is not projected war for 2023 but still they lost more than 20 wins in in 2022 wins from free agents and then have gained uh, about seven so they have a net loss of 14.3 and no one else is is close to that really like the white Sox are the only other team in double digits just barely and then most of the other teams it's like even other teams that have lost a lot of war like the Dodgers did, they have also gained or brought back a lot of war like the Yankees, like the Mets. So the Mets lost a lot of war, but they have gained net war, or at least if they keep Carlos Correa, (laughs) then then they will. But what stood out to me here is that on the other end of the spectrum, you have the Cubs with a net gain of 8.7. You have the Mets with a a gain of 8.0. And then you have the Angels, those Angels whom we mentioned also, a net gain of 7.3 war from free agents. So they're third there between the Mets and the Rangers, two teams that have made headlines and made huge acquisitions and thrown a lot of money around. The Angels have not done so in such a notable way, but they've achieved the the same effects, at least when it comes to free agents. Yeah. So obviously the Dodgers had a lot to lose and still right. be really good. They won 111 right. games. So even if they lost... 14 were worth of free agents uh, that would take them down to like high 90s win total. It's not that simple because of free agents. That's only one type of transaction. And this is retrospective war, not looking forward, not future war. Right. But even if they've lost a lot of wins, they had a lot of wins to lose and, and still be a good competitive team. But as Ben notes, and as we've noted, they're not clearly ahead of the Padres in that division yeah. anymore. So <laughs> the the LA area team that has had by far the better offseason when it comes to free agents coming and going, at least it's the Angels, not the Dodgers. Yeah. So, at least so far. How about that? Spooky. Mm-hmm. All right. And I will also just note that Russell Carlton wrote about wins this week at Baseball Prospectus, and and he wrote about this previously, and we've stat-blasted about this previously, just the fact that starters aren't really getting wins as often anymore. Yeah. They're getting decisions a lot less often, period, but right. especially wins. And so Russell wrote about maybe we should redefine the win. We should just change what has to happen for you to get credit for a win, And we talked about this briefly. I think we may have answered a listener email about this not long ago, but he had a a few different proposals for how we could tweak the pitcher win. And one is that you could just eliminate the rule about starters needing to pitch five innings to qualify for the win. So if you're a starter, you leave with the lead, the lead holds up, then at least you're eligible for the win, even if you didn't go the full five. Because so many things about the win are weird. Yeah. And and one of the things about it is that it's very dependent on your teammates, obviously, like your right. bullpen support and your offensive support. Right. But also they're just weird sequencing things where yeah. like if you're a starter, you have to pitch five innings. But if you're a reliever, you you, you don't. You, you could, sure don't. No, you just have to be the pitcher of 
record, the pitcher who's there when the team takes the lead, essentially, and, and you could barely pitch at all and you could still get the win. So so why? Why that? <laughs> so it just like the order in which you come in and what your offense has, happens to be doing at that time, it's a very significant factor. So that was one proposal, just remove the five-inning requirement for starters. Another possibility he listed was to eliminate the five-inning rule altogether and allow the starter to win the game as long as they leave with the lead and it was not surrendered afterward. Proposal three, all pitching win decisions are at the discretion of the official scorer, presumably with some guidance to give it to the most effective pitcher. So one pitcher from the winning team gets it. It doesn't matter when the winning run scored. So it can just be a case-by-case decision. Or proposal four, he had normalize a shadow category listing how many times a pitcher left the game having satisfied the criteria for a win and then lost it to a bullpen meltdown. And Russell, I think, mentions in in this piece that even if it wasn't one of his proposals that he would prefer that it just be the pitcher who added the most in terms of WPA mm. or or whatever win probability variants you wanted to use or linear weights or whatever it was. You just used something like that. And yeah, I I kind of feel like, A, we should keep the win the way it is just for historical consistency, just to kind of track how things have changed. Because I think the idea of having the win be an individual award is just is weird and we don't necessarily need to preserve that. It's just, it's kind of wrongheaded, like more so than it used to be when a pitcher would at least be in the entire game and still wouldn't be solely responsible for the win, but at least would be on the pitching side more often than not. Now that that's not the case, why even bother having the confusion of you know a team win and a win above replacement and a player and a pitcher win why right. even have the same nomenclature for all of those things right but if you wanted to hand out like a, a star of the game or like yeah most impactful pitcher of the game or whatever it is then i think probably you could go with some sort of wpa thing so you could have like a revamped pitcher win i guess like the way that there's a bill james game score and then there's a tom tango game score and it's like a different formulation of the idea of a game score so i would want to keep tracking wins the traditional way just to to have consistency because if you were to change the definition of a win would you then apply that retroactively or would you just have two different ones and that would be weird and and it's handy just as a barometer just to be able to say like hey pitchers get a lot fewer wins these days and that is a way to illustrate how much uh, pitcher usage has changed it's telling in a in a way that is i think informative even if the stat is pretty flawed yeah so i i wouldn't necessarily preserve i wouldn't want to sustain the concept of having a pitcher win but i i I would support reclassifying that somehow so that you could have like basically like the most impactful player or pitcher in a game i think that would be a useful thing to have just to be able to say this guy had the highest number of games in the league where he was the most important player or something right which you know it would probably just end up being the best players like by other metrics but there'd be some clutchness built in there and some timing and all of that so i think that would be kind of useful so i'd go for something like that and if i were to reclassify the win i I would just call it something different it would be like not even win it would just be some some other type of metric or you could just say this is a new win and we're keeping the old wins but we'll have these new wins too which i would probably still ignore (laughs) so there are a lot of different ways you could go with it the cool guy hanging out award (laughs) sure you could call it that we'll workshop it we'll workshop it okay 
We'll end with the Pass Blast. So this is uh, 1951, the episode, and this Pass Blast comes from 1951 and from Sabre's Director of Editorial Content, Jacob Pomranke, who is also the chair of the Black Sox Scandal Research Committee. And he writes, 1951, as day follows the night. The 1951 National League pennant race is usually remembered for how it started, the New York Giants stealing signs at the polo grounds to overtake the Brooklyn Dodgers' 13-and-a-half game lead, and for how it ended with Bobby Thompson's famous shot heard round the world home run to end a playoff tiebreaker. But in between those two events, the Giants were part of an unusual doubleheader involving three teams on September 13th in St. Louis— the first and only three-team doubleheader in the 20th century. What? Yeah. Bob Brega of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch explains what happened that day and night at Sportsman's Park. Quote, Playing two ball clubs in one day never will become a major league policy or practice, nor will the king-size stunt replace the automobile now any faster than it did old Dobbin when Grandpa was a gay blade. <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> I totally followed. Yeah, I tracked that whole that sentence. sentence. I knew what every part of it meant. Yes. I'm going to miss when, when we get up to just more modern times in the past blast and, and we don't get the at all old tiny yeah. baseball language because that's been one of the best parts of this series. Yeah, for sure. To straighten out a weather snarled schedule, the Cardinals tried yesterday to beat two ball clubs the present day Metropolitans, Giants, and Beantowners, Braves. But they were successful only in proving that enough is enough and that to face two 20-game pitchers in one 24-hour period is too much. Knocking out Sal the Barber Magley in the afternoon, the Redbirds scored all their runs in one inning and beat the New York Giants 6-4, to four, handing Leo DeRocher's dandies a swift kick in their pennant aspirations. A little more than three hours later, however, after eating a hurried dinner and passing up batting practice, the Redbirds tried to beat the Boston Braves and Warren the Great Spawn. But against the stylish Southpaw who pulled abreast Magley in the 20-victory column, the Cardinals couldn't qualify with even a loud foul. And Jacob concludes the three-team doubleheader was caused by a rainout the day before, which forced the Giants to stick around for one more afternoon before the Braves came in for a previously scheduled makeup game. While it was believed at the time that no one had played two teams in one day since 1883, Tom Ruane of Retrosheet reports that it happened several times in the 19th century, hmm. most recently by the Cubs in 1899. The Giants' win pulled them to within five and a half games of the first-place Dodgers with two weeks left to play. It didn't mean much to the Cardinals or Braves, who were both well out of contention by then. So, three-team doubleheader. One day, you got to face Warren Spahn and Sal Magley in the same day, two different teams. That's uh, that's tough. I yeah. can't see why we, we don't do that as a matter of course. Yeah, I can't imagine that it would go particularly well for you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. All right, you can support Effectively Wild on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. The following five listeners have already signed up and pledged some monthly or yearly amount to help keep the podcast going, help us stay ad-free, and get themselves access to some perks. Tom, Penelope Maddie, Devon Brannon, David Harris, and Tim Whitehead. Thanks to all of you. Patreon perks include access to the Effectively Wild Patreon Discord group, plus monthly bonus episodes, access to playoff live streams, you can get free audio or video messages from me and Meg, you can get discounts on merch and ad-free Fangrass memberships, and more. Don't wait. Act now. Supplies are limited. No, they're not really, but still, it'd be nice if you signed up for Patreon. 
If you are a Patreon supporter, you can also contact us through the Patreon website. But any old listener can contact us via email at podcast.fangraphs.com. You can also all join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Effectively Wild. You can rate, review, and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes and Spotify and other podcast platforms. You can follow Effectively Wild on Twitter at EWPod. At the very least, it's a good way to get notified quickly when an episode comes out. You can also find the Effectively Wild subreddit at r slash Effectively Wild. Thanks to Dylan Higgins for his editing and production assistance. We will be back with one more episode before the end of the week. Talk to you soon. My fame is sure, thanks to your Sunday pitch. Up high or low, I don't know which is which. But come next spring, keep throwing me that thing, and I will swing because of you. <laughs>